All right, Philippians chapter 3 tonight, the book of Philippians chapter number 3. And if you find your place, you're able to go ahead and stand tonight. Philippians chapter number 3. We're going to dive right into our text and uh, get right after it tonight. Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1, and the Bible says this, it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And Paul, as he writes to the church at Philippi, he says this, he says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Father, we thank you for tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity we have as a church to meet, and even as we're meeting tonight, uh, to be able to meet underneath this roof where there's churches across America that aren't able to do what we're doing tonight. Lord, I'm mindful of the reality that there may come a day in the future where we don't get to do what we're doing right now. Lord, I pray that we've come tonight to hear from you. Lord, I I can't preach tonight in and of myself. There's no possible way. So, Lord, I pray that you would use me as a vessel. Lord, that you would have me say exactly what you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less. And that ultimately tonight, God, you'd get the honor and the glory as we preach out of this text. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Preachers, in and of themselves, are interesting creatures. I'll say that again, because I don't think some of you caught on to what I just said. Preachers, in and of themselves, are interesting creatures. You say, man, Brother Andrew, that's a pretty bold statement. It is, but I can say it because I is one, in a way. But being in ministry, uh, I have a vested interest, if you would, in preachers. If you would ask an athlete... Uh, If they watch other athletes, I would dare say that most of them do. If you watch someone who plays the piano, hey, do you like watching Brother Bronner or Miss Becca play the piano? I'm sure most piano players, my wife included, would say, absolutely, I love watching them play. So as a preacher, I'm interested in other preachers. and So I'm interested in preachers, I'm interested in their preaching style, I'm interested in their context and how they take scripture and they open it up and maybe even some of their mannerisms and Over the years, I've had the privilege to be in many uh, services, many different meetings, and so you get a chance to see different preachers, and some that are well-known, some that aren't so well-known, but you just see differently. But preachers are notorious for being long-winded. How often have you heard a preacher say this, in conclusion, multiple times? How often have you heard a preacher say this? I'm trying to finish. I really am. I'm trying to finish. How often have you heard a preacher say this? I'm I'm trying to land the plane. I'm really trying to land the plane. It just doesn't want to land just yet. I think of a preacher who came to the kitchen table with a cut on his cheek, and his, his wife said, what happened to you? And he said, well, I was shaving and concentrating on my sermon, and I cut my cheek. Which his wife replied, how about you concentrate on your shaving and cut your sermon? <laughs> so now that that's out of the way, I, 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 do, 
I do want to give a word. <laughs> I let preacher know about this beforehand, driving back from the airport. So he was watching traffic, so I knew he couldn't like backhand me or anything else. <clears throat> but I, but I do listen. I do want to give a word of defense, if you would, for long-winded preachers. In our text tonight, we're in the middle of the book of Philippians, and Paul says in the verse number one, he says, "Finally, my brethren." And Paul has just spent two entire chapters, if you would, of this letter, or we could say this sermon, and he's been expounding Scripture and really looking at the Christian life and the joy that's contained in it. And Paul starts out chapter number three, and he says, finally, my brethren. And so when we hear the words, finally, my brethren, we automatically think Paul's getting ready to end the letter, or he's getting ready to end the sermon. But the fact of the matter is, as you study this text tonight, that's the total opposite of what Paul does. Paul doesn't get into chapter number three and say, okay, I'm about ready to wrap this up. No, no, Paul goes on for another two chapters. Paul was a Baptist preacher to the hardcore, amen? But I don't know about you, but in thinking about this and in studying this, how often have I been guilty of this, hearing a preacher say in conclusion, and I just kind of turn him off? How often have I heard a preacher say, hey, I'm trying to wrap it up, and as he's saying that for the fifth time or the sixth time, I automatically just turn him off. And I'd say this, if I'm guilty of that tonight, I'm sure maybe some of you, Brother Wheeler, guilty before, right? And so often we hear a preacher say, finally, we want to kind of turn him off. Or maybe, listen, in the middle of the sermon, we're just like, I'm just going to turn you off right now. But Paul here gets into chapter number three, and he says, look what he says. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you, to me, is indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it, in, sorry, but for you, it is safe. We know this, that Paul, obviously, he probably wasn't a long-winded preacher in the sense of Paul was one of those types of preachers who was very pointed. Paul wasn't the type of preacher that mixed words. Paul wasn't the type of preacher that kind of filly-daddied around in the message and tried to, you know, tried to appease the crowd. No, Paul was the type of preacher who just reared back and let her rip. Uh, he was the type of preacher, he didn't care if you got offended in the sense of this. If it's truth, it's truth, and he wasn't going to hold back. Can I say this? That's the type of preacher we need in America. That's the type of preaching we need in our pulpits. Listen, it doesn't matter if it's from uh, the auditorium or it's in the teen room or it's in junior church or wherever the case is, we need some preachers that will just take the word of God and simply say, thus saith the Lord. And listen, not take it out of context, not try to, try to make our own doctrine based upon what we read, but take the word of God and simply say, this is what God says. Are you going to heed to it? That's the type of preacher Paul was. It's the type of preacher we need even today. But he says this in verse number one. To kind of, I'm trying to build a little bit of a case here for some context. He says this, Finally, my brethren, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous. Now, for Paul to make a statement like that, it kind of makes a step back, if you would, and go, wait a minute here. He says to write the same things to you, meaning this. He's already written them before. He's already said these things before. It's almost as if Paul's repeating himself again to the church of Philippi. And he says this, he makes this statement, indeed is not grievous. That word grievous means this, it means irksome or troublesome. Here's what Paul's saying, the things that I'm getting ready to say, the things that I've said in this letter, the things that you're getting ready to read, the things that I'm going to address within the local church, they're not troublesome to me, they're not irksome, they're not, they're not a burden upon me. No, no, he says this, look at the latter part of verse number one, but for you, it is safe. For you to hear it again, it is safe. How often do we come into church and even and think about 2020 and we come into church and maybe we hear the same message over and over again? Say like literally? No, 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 no. In a sense, like figuratively. I was telling pastor, uh, I believe it was Sunday afternoon, we were talking. 
about how the last two Sunday morning messages kind of piggyback and go along with what's kind of been taught up in the teen class for Sunday school. Some of the teens have talked to me about it. Isn't it amazing? Listen, isn't it amazing that as God is working in the heart of the pastor to preach from the pulpit, that God is also working through the Sunday school department? If you're missing Sunday school, you are missing a huge blessing. And as God, listen, as God is preparing the man of God to preach the word of God, that God is lining everything out. I told pastor on Sunday, brother John, it's amazing. We should be, we should have been done with this series months ago. But because of COVID, because of not having Sunday school, because of all the things that go on, Brother Mike, we are right where God wants us to be. And here's what happens. We come into church and we hear the same message in Sunday school, the same message from the pulpit Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and we walk out the same exact way. And Paul is saying this, it's not a burden to me. No, 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 Paul is saying you need to hear it again. That's really what Paul's saying. Paul's saying you need to hear the message again because it is that important. So often we come into church and here's our thought, man, he said finally, or he said in conclusion, or he said he's finishing like 15 times instead of focusing on what God is trying to say. How often, Brother Jimmy, have we come to church? Hey, Trevin, it's good to see you, Trevin. You snuck in. How often have we come to church and we've heard the same thing over and over and over again? And here's what we'll tell ourselves. Man, Brother Cole really needed that message. Man, Brother Brett really needed that message. Man, Brother Andrew, he definitely needed that message. I don't know why he didn't respond. Wait, wait a second here. Maybe the message wasn't for Brother Andrew, in a sense. It was. But maybe it wasn't for me. Maybe it was for you. Maybe it was for Pastor. Maybe it was for Miss Pam. Maybe it was for someone else. The point is this. What's our mindset? And Paul gets to chapter number three after he's already exhorted the church, after he's already addressed some things in the church, and he says, hold up, take a break. I still have more to talk to you about. And he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you, uh, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Can I say this, and I'm not saying this because pastor's here, because there's definitely a possibility his plane, his plane could have been delayed and he could still be in Arizona tonight. But man, I, I am so thankful that the man of God doesn't get up in the pulpit and do one of these. And if you don't know what he's doing, he's checking the winds of what's going on in the sense. No, no, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. It's very evident. I've been here long enough now to know that it's very evident when God works in his heart and, and lays a series out. I mean, even the Sunday morning, what we're going through in Sunday morning and, and, and seeing uh, what's taking place in Sunday school and how God is meshing that together. Man, listen, it's important. It's important that when we come to church, we don't come to church with the mindset of, man, I've heard it before. It doesn't do anything for me. I've been in church since 1991. 1991. That's a long time. Some of you have been in church a lot longer than that. We won't look at anybody. But hey, listen, I'm sure we've been in church long enough that we've heard a few sermons over and over again. I'm sure we've heard John 3.16 preached frontwards, backwards, from the bottom top, and all over the place. And so when the preacher gets up, whether it's Pastor Marshall, whether it's myself, or the Mike, or the Rick, uh, any of the teen boys, any missionary, anybody comes in and they say John 3.16, do we already have a preconceived notion? Are we already turning off the Holy Spirit from working in our heart? Because I'll be honest with you, we, we often say, make this statement that John 3.16 is the most familiar, most popular verse in, in all the world. And can I say that? That verse is not just for the lost. That verse is for the saved too. Now listen, that verse is not just for the man that's sitting out in the gutter tonight, drunk and drugged up and, and his life's a mess and his life's a wreck. No, no, no. That verse is just as important for him as it is for me, having been saved since 1991. But do we come in with a preconceived notion of what God's going to do and what God's going to say? I've heard a few sermons that I wish I'd never heard the first time, amen? 
ever been in a service where you maybe you're meeting or whatever the case is and you've heard a sermon and you're like, man, I wish I never would have heard that. Some of you are saying that right now about this one. <laughs> but I've also heard a few sermons that, to be honest with you, I needed to hear again. I've been in church long enough, Brother Jimmy, where I've heard a sermon and, man, I've been under such conviction and just such, just, just overwhelmed. And it wasn't like a feely, it was just like God was just all over me. And maybe nobody else, but he was over me and I thought, man, I need to hear that message again. I need to hear it again. And Paul was saying that this message or what he's getting ready to tell the church at Philippi, he's going to repeat himself. And it wasn't a problem. It wasn't a, an issue with him, but that it was safe or that it, we could say it like this. It was needful that the church heard it again. They heard it again. Listen, let's fast forward from the church of Philippi to this year, 2020. Maybe it seems this, that as we're going through 2020 and the craziness and the busyness and the, the chaos that has taken place in 2020, that really we haven't really grown spiritually because we've taken upon ourselves the mindset of, Man, I've already heard that, Brother Joe. I've heard it again. I've heard it again. Man, how many times is preacher going to say you need to read your Bible? How many times is preacher going to say you need to pray? How many times is preacher going to say you need to tithe? How many times is Brother Mike going to get up there and say you need to pass out tracts? How many, how many, how many, how many? Can I say this? There's benefit in repetition. And there's a reason why. Listen, there's a reason why we need repetition in our life. And Paul is getting to the church at Philippi, and he says this. Listen, guys, and in a nutshell, here's what he's saying. You're going to hear it again. But I want you to take note of what I'm getting ready to tell you. Because you've heard it once, and you need to hear it again. Husbands, how many wives are you, how many, sorry, how many, how many wives? Well, well, <laughs> husbands, how many times does your wife need to tell you something before you do it? I'm thankful my wife's not here. I'm thankful my wife's not here, because she would be like, oh, let me tell you how many times. I don't have enough fingers to count how many times. But listen, when it comes to the things of God, we need, we need God to repeat himself sometimes. And when he repeats himself, we need to just put the brakes on, if you would. We need to stop and we need to listen. The book of Philippians is Paul, if you would, it's his manifesto of how to live a life full of joy. And if, we don't have the time tonight, but if you go through the book of Philippians, you really see Paul's heart, you see Paul's mindset, you see Paul's desire for joy. And so I got thinking, like, man, how in the world does Paul... Somebody who was persecuted, somebody who was left for dead, somebody who, who obviously faced a lot of uh, bullies, if you would, Brother Mike. How did somebody like Paul really get to the point in his life where he just had so much joy, so much excitement, so much drive, so much motivation? How does he get to the point to where he writes the letter to the church of Philippi and he says something like this? Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. He says, hey, listen, my joy comes from God and God alone. How does he get to that point? Well, I believe there's some things that Paul establishes or established in his life tonight that we ought to, in ourselves, establish. Look at verse number one. Let's break down these three verses. Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Notice what Paul says here. He says to rejoice in the Lord. Paul sets down what we might call the, uh, 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 the, the indestructibility of Christian joy. You say, what's that, brother Andrew? Well, that we find that our joy has got to be in the Lord. Look what he says there. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, he doesn't say this. Hey, you need to rejoice. He doesn't say when it's convenient, rejoice. Hey, if you would just read. No, no. He says rejoice in the Lord. There's a continual aspect of Paul's life that keeps him from having, we'll call it like this, a cold Christian life. You know what a cold Christian life is? 
Someone who comes into church and sits in church like this the whole time. I don't know know about you, but I don't want cold Christian life. I I don't want to come in and I don't want my kids and I don't want our young people and I don't even want my friends, the adult friends I have here. I don't want them to go, man, there's Brother Andrew. Look at Brother Andrew. He's He's just cold. He's just hard. He's just like unaffected by the word of God. He's unaffected by the singing. No, no, no. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Can we say it like this? Paul's given a command. When was the last time you rejoiced in the Lord? When was the last time you just stepped back and said, God, I, I don't fully understand all that's taking place, but God, you're holy. God, you're righteous. God, you're good. God, God, you're just so amazing. When was the last time we really rejoiced in the Lord? And so often our joy is just because we're looking at all the other things around us and all the other situations that take place, and there's really no joy. He says this, He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. How can you and I obey this? How can we really rejoice in the Lord? Here's the secret. It's not letting anything between us and Christ. That's really how we can rejoice in the Lord. It's not putting putting people in front of us and God. It's not putting uh, money in front of us and God. It's not putting circumstances. It's not putting personal pleasures. No, no, no. It's us and God and me and God and the ability and the opportunity to rejoice in the Lord and what God's done. But then look at what he says here. He says, finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. Not only is it a command, but I think about this. Paul is not the type of person that he just says, well, just rejoice when good things happen. Paul, it, it, it's, it, listen, it's, it's, it's assumed here in our text and even in the book of Philippians that Paul continually rejoiced in the Lord. You say, how do you find that, Brother Andrew? Well, if you go back in chapter number one and go all the way through four chapters, you'll find Paul mentioned multiple times, joy, rejoicing. It was very, very evident to Paul as he wrote the church at Philippi that Paul grabbed a hold of something, and this is the something he grabbed a hold of. If I really want joy in my life, if I really want to have a ministry that regardless of what takes place, and I can find fulfillment and satisfaction and peace, and I can find all the things that God wants for me, man, here's how I find it. I find it in rejoicing in the Lord. I find it in the joy that God gives me, that God gives me in the Lord. If your happiness depends on good things, And when bad things happen, you're stripped of your joy. But if the Lord is your source and reason for your joy, it'll be joy that is constant and continual. This time of year is a time of year that ought to be joyous. It ought to be joyous. And can I say it like this? I I don't want to be mean when I say this, but it's really sad when a lost person has more joy about this time of year than a saved person. I'll say it again. It's really sad when a lost person has more joy during this time of year than a saved person does, Brother John. It's really sad. And suicide rates during this time of the year between Thanksgiving and Christmas, astronomical. Listen, and not just, not just for, for teenagers, but for adults as well. Crime, listen to the radio today, driving down to the airport. Crime rates skyrocket. I mean, just absolute mess, chaos. And not just in America, but globally. Why is it? Well, could it be tonight that as Christians, our joy is found not in Christ? Could it be tonight that we have a cold Christianity where our joy is found in our circumstance and the position we're at in life and the things that, and if you would, the, the things that have taken place in our life? No, no, Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Listen, tonight, when you come to church, are you coming to church for God? Or are you coming to church for someone else? When you open up your Bible and you read the Word of God, are you reading the Word of God for God and the relationship you have with God? Or are you reading it so someone doesn't ask you what you read today? 
when you take the time to pray and talk to God and pour your heart out to God, is that your opportunity to just rejoice in God and thank God? Or you just kind of going, God, I need you right now. God, I'm struggling right now. I don't quite understand what's going on. No, no, Paul said, listen, you want real joy? Paul said, listen, church, church at Philippi, I mean, listen, you've got to understand this, you've got to rejoice in the Lord. Then he says this in verse number two. He says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Listen, Paul repeats his message, and he says it's not grievous, but it's safe. And so he repeats what he's already, basically already said to the church, and he, he sums it up this way, beware of dogs. That word beware means this. It means to see with the mind's eye or to discern mentally. This verb is present in imperative meaning that Paul commanded them to be continually watching for false teachers. When it came to defending the truth, Paul did not mince the words. I already established that. But on several occasions, even, and I'll give you a reference here, in Matthew chapter number 24, verse number 4 and 5, Jesus himself said this, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Listen, tonight, there, is, there, there are those Christians that have a cold, hard Christian life. There's no joy in their life. But can I also say this? There are some Christians tonight that have a corrupted Christian life. So what do you mean by that, Brother Angie? Look what the verse 2 says. Beware of dogs. Paul uses an analogy here that is not friendly. Now, when we hear the word dog, we obviously think of Fido or Brinkley. We think of a, a dog, a family dog. We've got a dog. His name is Max. He's a boxer, which he's the biggest boxer I've ever seen in my life. But you know, when, when Paul says this, beware of dogs, he's not talking about our family dog. No, no, in Bible times, specifically in, the, in, in Philippi, dogs were not the pets, if you would. Dogs ran around the city and ravaged the city. Uh, historians say that dogs would even attack human beings. They'd run in packs. And so here's what Paul is saying. Don't, listen, beware of the dogs. Beware of those that would come in, that would come in and snip at you, that would come in and bring false doctrine within the church house. That's what he's saying. And so what was taking place was, Paul was warning the church that there are those outside the church that would desire to come in and to ultimately destroy the church. There are those that are outside. Listen, Paul says, hey, you want that joy? Um, you got to be careful. You got to be careful that your Christian life isn't devoured by the dogs, isn't devoured by the false teaching. Can I be honest with you? We live in a, in a tech savvy society where if we want to look something up, I, I, I was reading something even this afternoon and, and got reading a commentary. I'm thinking, oh, man, this guy's not even making sense. Listen, it's so easy for us to read something and, and to be off on our doctrine and to be off in what we believe and to be off on the church and off on the word of God and to be thinking things and doing things that don't even line up with scripture. Paul says, you know, listen, church, you know why your joy is so important? Because there's those out there that would take it and destroy it. There's dogs out there. Then he goes on to say this, beware of the dogs. But then he says this, beware of evil workers. Here's what happens. Paul starts from the outside, if you would, and then he kind of moves in on the inside. He says, beware of those evil workers. What are those evil workers? The word evil here speaks to that which is depraved. These false teachers were corrupt on the inside, thus they were uh, what they were, they were not the same on the outside. So what do you mean, Brother Andrew? John Phillips described them like this. They were men of fair words and foul conduct. So let me give you an example. There are those within Christianity today that would say something like this. You know, God's forgiving you. you whatever you do, God's going to forgive you. 
That's an evil worker. Hey, it's not a big deal that you sin. It's not a big deal that you live your life like that. It's not a big deal that you socially drink or you socially mingle. It's not a big deal. God's going to forgive you. Can I be honest with you? That's going to steal your joy. It's going to steal your joy. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. I've seen it anywhere. I've seen it with young people over the last 20 years where they'll hear something, they'll see something, or a friend will say something, or a comment will be made. And in their mind, this seed is planted that it's not a big deal that I go out and I sleep around, or I go out and I party, or I go out and go to this dance, or I go out and I go do this, and this, and this, and this. God's going to forgive me. And you know what happens, Brother Jimmy? The devil gets a hold of that life and destroys it like that. And here's the sad thing. People want, people, people want, uh, 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 people want just instant gratification. Instant gratification. Yet they don't see down the line. And our mindset is this, man, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, God's, God's, Brother Andrew, God said he'll forgive us. He's faithful and just to forgive us if we confess our sins. I mean, it's, it's not a big deal. Oh, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. For those that have, have lived their life with scars, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. For those that have watched lives completely ruined because the mindset was, ah, God's going to forgive me. Once saved, always saved. I got a home in heaven. No, no. Paul says what he says. He says, beware of dogs. But he says this, beware of evil workers. Beware of evil workers. Beware of evil workers. They call themselves good, but they're not. And he says this, the latter part of verse number two. He says, beware of the concision. That word concision is actually a spinoff word of the word circumcision, which we're going to read here in a second in verse number three. There was a group in that day, in Paul's days, he's writing to the church at Philippi. There was a group in that day called Judaizers. And Judaizers did not deny the faith, didn't deny Jesus Christ. But here's what Judaizers did. They tried to add works as a prerequisite for salvation. Their whole philosophy of salvation was that an individual had to follow the Mosaic law in order to be truly saved. They're not taking away anything, but here's what they're doing. They're adding to it. They're adding to the gospel. They're adding to salvation. You see, false teachers say a lot of right things, but it is the wrong they add to the right that is deceiving. Listen, we can, we, this is why we got televangelists. We got people that want our money. The people that say, hey, you can do this and God will still love you. No, no, can I, can I just be honest with you tonight? God, God is not the author of confusion. God's not the author, that, uh, the, he's not the God in heaven that's going to say, yes, live like the world, live like the heathen, live like Satan himself, and I'm just going to pat you on the back and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And Paul is addressing the church at Philippi, and he's saying, listen, you need to be aware of these things. You need to be aware of these things. Say, so why, man, Brother Andrew, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. I mean, is there something going on at Riverside Baptist Church that we don't know about? No. Not that I'm aware of, but here's what I do know. I know the devil's going to try to destroy what's here at Riverside Baptist Church. The devil's going to try to destroy what is taking place. Listen, not just collectively as a church, but can I say it like this, individually? Individually. So what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Uh, I'm trying to remember, like maybe just uh, last week or two, our pastor preaching a message out of mm, the book of Ezra. And he talked about the church being a body. Remember that, Brother John? Sunday morning. And how important the body, the local church is. And how every one of us plays an integral part of that body. So here's what the devil does. 
The devil, ultimately, yes, he would love to destroy Riverside Baptist Church. would love to get it to the point where it had no witness, had no testimony, closed the doors. But you know what? If the devil could come in and work his evil and start getting us to think along the lines of him and hurt part of the body, man, what damage he could do. And Paul is exhorting the church at Philippi, and here's what Paul's saying. Hey, listen, you need to make sure you know what's going on. I'm going to repeat myself again. You can go back to chapter 1 and chapter 2 and read the charge that Paul gives the church of Philippi. He's repeating himself again. And if Paul's repeating himself again, let's think about this for a second. It's not necessarily Paul that wrote this book. It's ultimately who? God. It's given from God. God's repeating himself again, and he says, this is important. Why? Because God knows it can work its way into Riverside Baptist Church. If it could work its way into the church of Philippi, it can work its way in right here. And we've got to be careful to protect ourselves. Man, why is pastor preaching? He just, he just says the same thing over and over again. Light bulb. Light bulb. Maybe because God is trying to get our attention as a congregation, as a people, as a body, that we would identify, listen, we would identify the false, the evil, the concision that would take place, that would, listen, ruin this body. Paul says, hey, you want joy? You want a life of fulfillment? You better take note of what's taking place. Because I can, I can guarantee you this. The devil's desire is not for you to have a joy-filled life. The devil's, that's not the devil's desire. The devil tonight is not going, man, Brother Dan, I want you to have an awesome life. Man, I want you to have a joy-filled life. Man, I just, I just want you to, I just want you, man, just, your life's going to be awesome. That's not the devil's desire. Paul identifies here. Then look what he says in verse number 3. Kind of wraps it up here. Look what he says. He says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. After Paul described the falseness, if you would, he gets down to verse number 3 and he, he addresses the reality of our Christian life. He names some essentials and foundational truths within the Christian life and Listen, if we're, if we're going to have a Christian life that God wants us to have, that God desires for us to have, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us to have, we've got to recognize some essential things. So let's, let's kind of break this down real quick. In verse 3, Paul begins by saying, For we are the circumcision which worship God. Now in Bible context here, we're in the New Testament. We're not in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a part of identifying the nation of Israel. And so what was taking place was the Judaizers were trying to wrap that back in, if you would, to the New Testament church. And here's ultimately what Paul's saying. Uh, that's not. That's an outward, of, outward action. What Paul is talking and referencing here when he says in verse number 3, for we are the circumcision, he's referencing those that have put their faith and trust in God. He's referencing those that have been saved, that are born again, that are not living their life because of an outward action, but they're living their life based upon what has taken place within their heart. And can I say this, that you and I can never, ever, ever, ever truly worship God the way that God wants us to worship Him if we've never been born again. No, no, no. There are millions of people every week that go to church that think that they're praising and worshiping God, but deep down inside their heart, they're lost. They're not saved. They're not a child of God. They're not a daughter of God. They have no concept of what a real relationship with Jesus Christ is. And so Paul says, hey, listen, we're the circumcision. We're those that have been born again, that put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here. He says, which worship God in the spirit. 
in the Spirit. There's a privilege to being saved. There's, listen, there's, there's privilege to being saved. There's benefits, if you would, to being saved. Let's put it that way. There's benefits to being saved. Here's some of the benefits by being saved. Man, I have a heavenly father. I have a heavenly father, Brother John. I, uh, my dad called me early, early, early Tuesday morning. We were talking about some stuff. And, man, I love my dad. My dad's one of my best friends. He was my best man at my wedding. And, uh, man, when my dad got saved, uh, it, it just totally changed our relationship. And I'm so, so, so thankful for it. But, you know, my dad's in Colorado. That's a long ways away. And FaceTime's great, but, man, it'd be even better if my dad was right next to me, Brother Butch. Put my arm around him, hug him, tell him how much I love him. That's my earthly father. Man, I have a heavenly father who's right there. Right there. Hey, listen, when I face trials and I face tribulations and I face frustrations and I need answers and I got questions and I'm just, I feel like I'm a mess because sometimes I am a mess, amen? You are too. And we can just get on our face before our Heavenly Father and say, God, I, I, I need to talk to you. Man, there's some benefits to being saved. How about this? How about brothers and sisters in Christ? How about the joy and benefit of having a church family? Man, the joy and benefit of coming to church, knowing that people have worked hard all week and people have labored away and there are different situations, different things going on. Man, just being able to come to church and, hey, Brother Brett, how you doing? Man, it's good to see you. Man, I saw the pictures of your truck. Man, it looks awesome. Yeah. Man, just the benefit and the joy of church family. Man, there's benefits to being saved. There's benefits to it. But can I say it like this? There's also a privilege to being saved. Look what Paul says in verse 3. He said, which worship God in the Spirit. We get the privilege to have a personal relationship with the God of heaven. Man, when I saw that, and I, I just stopped right there reading, which worship God in the Spirit. Man, what a privilege I get to wake up every morning. And I don't wake up and go, man, am I saved today? Man, am I... No. No, no, I can wake up every morning and roll over and just go, God, thank you. And, and, and God can, not verbally, but God can just say, you're welcome. Hey, I love you. What you got going on today? Well, God, you know, I, I got to go to work today. I mean, I got to go to church and there's things that need to be done. And, and God, we got church tonight. And I know, man, it's exciting, isn't it? No, no, no. I don't think sometimes, I think sometimes maybe we, we, we don't recognize the privilege we have. And by not recognizing the privilege we have, we kind of lose that joy and that excitement. We kind of come to church and... Well, we're here, it's Wednesday night. Hurry up and get done, Brother Andrew. Preacher said, I'm almost finished five times now. Oh, he just said it the sixth time. He almost said it there, so that's six and a half. No, 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 no. No, no. We lose the joy of the privilege we have to be able to come and worship God. And, and, and not just the fact that we get to come to church, but the fact that we can do it. Man, I can do it as I'm driving down I-29 in my truck. God, I just want to talk to you right now. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to praise your name for how good you are to me. See, the Christian experience is not necessarily physical. It's absolutely not physical, but it's spiritual. You see, to the Jew in, 
in the church of Philippi, to the Jews that were there, God dwelt in a building or in a temple. But Paul declares this, that God is a spirit that indwells the believer. And what a privilege, what a thought tonight. And he says this, he says, and rejoice in Christ Jesus. The word rejoice here means this. Paul uses this and it means, it means to boast in. It means to boast in. The songwriter said it like this. He said, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. When was the last time you really boasted in Jesus Christ? When was the last time you really just took a stand and said, I'm not going to worry about what my neighbor thinks as I give him that track, or I'm not going to worry about what my kids think or what my spouse thinks. Man, I'm just going to praise God. I'm going to boast in how good God is. And we're talking about ultimately joy here as Paul repeats the message. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Man, what a thought. Then he says this, the latter part, he finishes out verse 3. He says, and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul was saying this, that salvation does not come by what we do. Salvation does not come by how spiritual we are and how spiritual we might sound on the outside. Salvation does not come by some rule or some preacher or some church or some denomination that we follow. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Lord Jesus Christ. Our confidence in salvation comes not by our own blood, but by and through the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ alone. Paul saying, my joy, church, church of Philippi, my joy, my passion, my drive, my excitement. It's not me, my flesh. It's through him. I have no confidence in and of myself. One preacher put it like this. He said, we live on a battlefield, not a playground. As a soldier is cautious in battle, we too should be on our guard. So why, Paul, why preach the same thing? Why have the safeguards? Why, why highlight these things when it comes to joy? I mean, what's, what's the big deal? Pastor Marshall, why? why? Why are you always saying read our Bible and pray and be faithful to church and come to Sunday school? And why, why, why? I wrote down three quick reasons why. Number one, there are still sinners in need of a Savior. That's why. Number two, there are still saints who need encouraged. Listen, I don't know about you, but when I come to church, I need to be encouraged. I need to be, uh, not, listen, not just pumped up like, woo, yeah. No, no, no. I need to be encouraged, what? Keep pressing on. But then there's this reason why. There are still Christians who would rather choose the pleasures of sin and live for God. What's sad is this, is that a young person or an adult alike could hear the same message over and over and over and over again and would simply tell God this, God, what you have for me is not better than what I have for myself. And it's sad to say that the Christian who does that is going to miss out on the joy God has for him. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. He said, I'm going to tell you again, rejoice in the Lord. But there's some things you need to be aware of. There's some things you need to practice. Because if not, you're going to be discouraged. If not, you're going to wonder why. If not, you're going to be corrupted. Hey, listen, tonight, let's rejoice in the Lord. But let's make sure, let's make sure our heart and our life matches up to what God says. That we're not rejoicing in the Lord our way, but His way. Father, we thank you for tonight, Lord, the privilege and the opportunity it is to be able to be in your house. 
Lord, we thank you for the example that we find within Scripture of the church at Philippi. And as Paul wrote this letter, obviously we know that he highlighted so much when it came to joy and rejoicing. And it's very easy this time of year to look at the circumstances of life and even look at 2020 and be discouraged, to be frustrated. Maybe even of ourselves, as God's people, we haven't come to church with that excitement, that passion and that drive and that motivation. It's almost like our, our joy has been removed or... We've just been oppressed. God, I pray tonight that we would take what was said and or the scripture and the challenge. Lord, that our hearts would be right with you. God, that our spirit, not just as we're at church, but even as we're at home and at work, would be a spirit of rejoicing. Lord, that we purpose in our heart that even as the message might be something we've heard or a passage we're familiar with, or man, it just seems like it's the same thing we've heard over and over again. Lord, that we take note of what you're trying to do in our heart and in our life. As we sit in tonight, every head bowed, every eye closed, Brother Bronner's going to begin to play the piano. Let me ask you this question as you stand. How's your joy tonight? How's your joy? Listen, if you come to church lately and just been like, man, I just want to get this 